What is going on, ladies and gentlemen? Sorry for a little bit of a late start. Uh, we're having some technical difficulties. You know, this technology is crazy, and, um, and you know, my guests come from all over the world. So I apologize for the late start. It is 5.04, four minutes late, but I, we got Richard Kirby on the line. I'm sorry we won't have video today, and we'll get to him really quickly because we are running late. First, I want to thank you guys for tuning in to today's show. You know, doing this show from the NRM studios is, is a highlight of my week, especially with everything going on in the world. It is nonstop chaos everywhere you look, except on my feet. So make sure to follow me on Facebook, Instagram, all that kind of good stuff, because you're just going to get skateboarding. You're going to get some positivity, probably some punk rock, and just some cool stuff. So make sure to follow that. The drop-in as well on Facebook. Um, you know, we have enough drama going everywhere. So I try to bring you guys some stories of inspiration of people who followed their passion. If you do not resonate with a certain show, go to another one. I say it all the time. The guests of the drop-in, they cover the gamut. I mean, Hollywood stuntmen, professional athletes, local entrepreneurs, you name it. They have visited with me here on the show. So if one show doesn't inspire you to get off your damn couch, go to the next one. There is something within the drop-in archives that will motivate you to be the best version of yourself, and that's the goal. That is the goal of this show. Every single week, that is the goal. And this week is no different. I'll tell you what, um, Richard Kirby, uh, we became friends on social media, and I think it was like 97, maybe, maybe 98. Um, and I, my memory could be a little bit foggy. Uh, but I think it was around 97, 98 and Santa Cruz came through town. Tim Broch, I believe was with them and I met Richard Kirby and it was, I was just, you know, local dude, local guy skating, having a good time. And what, what he embodied was exactly what I wanted to be all terrain ripper. A dude could skate anything. And that's what I still to this day believe a pro skateboarder should be. And that's how I modeled my career after the likes of Richard, uh, John Cardiel, Wade Spire, those kinds of riders were the riders that that motivated me. Even, you know, I got to hang out at that time with Bill Danforth quite a bit, and he was that kind of a rider. He would skate anything, vert, backyard pool, street, it didn't matter. And Richard was one of those guys, so I reached out to him and I said, would you like to come on my show? Because he's doing some pretty cool stuff down in Tennessee right now, and he said yes. So without me running my trap too much more, I would like to introduce you guys to Richard Kirby. Richard, you there? I'm here. How's it going? What's up, man? I'm sorry about the video debacle. I don't know what's going on. Ah, uh, that's okay. Who knows what what happens with that type of stuff? I mean, it's, it is what it is. No big deal. Yeah. So, how's your day? Now. How's your day moving along, brother? It's good. It's pretty chill. It's um, it's it's uh, overcast, kind of gloomy, kind of rainy day here. So, it's pretty mellow for the most part. Not a lot of people out or nothing. So, a right. lot of downtime. A lot of drawing got done today future appointments and stuff like that so. right on well you know uh the drop-in always like tells a story from the beginning so let's start in the beginning you know where'd you grow up how was the family dynamic that kind of a thing man okay um well i, I grew up here on the east coast like about 14 miles from where i live now currently in bristol um it was pretty chill you know i mean normal childhood i guess um, we moved to a new town. My father was a coal miner. He transferred um, down down this way. We moved to a new town when I was like nine, ten, and uh, I moved in 
to a neighborhood that, you know, already had their cliques that all the dudes would already form their little football teams and their little army, you know, soldiers and stuff like that. And I was kind of the outsider, so I just never really jacked with them. And one day a dude rolled up with a skateboard, and I was like, well, that looks fun. So I grabbed it, and that was it, skateboarding after that. How old, how old were you when that happened? I was about 10. All right. So about the same for me. A kid friend of mine came home from Florida. You know, he had a big Monty Nolder or something. I'm like, that looks cool. I'd like to try that. And I never looked back, you know. Uh, oh, yeah. It was just uh, uh, something that uh, never left my side. Even I, I ended up playing hockey at a pretty high level, but my skateboard always traveled with me wherever I was going. And, uh, yep. And still to this day, you know, it's a, a great quote from Lance Mountain that, um, you know, riding a skateboard doesn't make you a skateboarder, but not being able to stop riding a skateboard, that's what makes you a skateboarder. And I know exactly. uh, a lot of people that, that fit that model, you know. Um, yep. But uh, how about school, man? You know, going through uh, junior high and high school, um, for, for me in, in the metro Detroit area, there wasn't a ton of skateboarders. So it was like me and like the three other dudes that rode skateboards in school was it similar similar like that down in tennessee i'd say pretty similar um there you know there was a big uh i would say right around like 87 88 there was a big uh influx everyone got a skateboard for christmas type deal you know like right when it the fad hit you know right after about a year or two after uh the back to the future swell um everyone had a skateboard and, you know every and sure enough, everyone broke a bone and threw it back in the garage and their <laughs> license and stopped skating. <clears throat> Excuse me. Um, and then during high school, it was really, I mean, it was grim. There was no skateboarders around for a while. <clears throat> and then, um, I mean, I was the only one. I would travel out of town. There was a couple of dudes, but it really wasn't much. And, and this is a small town, so it was pretty heavily, like, football jock related small town you know they don't like punkers or weirdos or skateboarders and stuff like that yeah similar um you know in 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 our town we were very lucky uh there was a gentleman named john broge and he was a little older than us and he actually had a half pipe behind the place his dad shop and so we would sneak back there and it was the first time i had ever seen a half pipe in my life you know and and very similar um, to many people on the East Coast, you know, at the time we were living through magazines, you know, and seeing what was going on in the magazines and then actually see a ramp and, uh, and it just, it set a fire, you know, I, 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 I loved it. I, I would sleep there sometime on the weekends and, and John took me under his wing and was teaching me, you know, bonelesses and different things like that around that time. Um, locally down in Tennessee, was there anything like near you, any kind of skate parks, any ramps, any, any guys you looked up to? Um, there was there was no parks around. There, there there was a park that was very short lived in Roanoke, which is about three hours away um, from like eighty seven to eighty eight or something like that. And then um, I actually I actually built a little four foot ramp in my backyard from maybe eighty seven to eighty nine, maybe probably not even that. Maybe eighty seven to eighty eight. It wasn't wasn't there very long, but that's really where like. That's where I really learned to skate, honestly, at that that at that age. Um, there was one older dude in town. His name was Dan. And he was just the long haired Hessian dude. Um, he was like maybe five, six six years older than me. 
And, uh, I mean, oh, my God, he just, he embodied skateboarding and punk rock. And, I mean, I idolized him. So he pretty much took me under his wing and was like, here's how you build a jump ramp. Here's how you do this. And he took me skating and gave me my first black flag tape, you know, and just, just kept shoving really cool, influential stuff up under my nose, you know, when you're 10, 11, 12. You know, it, it totally turned a corner for me. Um, yeah, and then, you know, he got older. He was six years older than me. And he, you know, moved away, and I was still in high school, so I just kept skating and doing my thing. Well, and that was going to be my next question because, you know, uh, I started riding about the same time, and then I happened to be at my cousin's house, and I got a phone call from uh, his uh, stepbrother who lived on the West Coast. And he was like, you ever heard of the Dead Kennedys? I'm like, I don't even know what that is. And he played it over the phone, and, and it was off to the races. You know, we had a local <laughs> local record store called the Record Exchange that uh, carried some independent kind of stuff, and, and it was yep. just everything, you know. I had a Buzzcocks tape for like two years that didn't have anything on it. It was a copy of a copy of a copy, and I didn't even know what the name of the band was, you know. I'm like, I love this. I don't even know what it is, you know. Yep, yep. The, yep, that's exactly how it was. Yeah, the music was, came right was, with it. I was 10 years old, and I would get up at 7.30 in the morning on a weekend and go go to Dan's house. And he was, you know, 16 at the time, sleeping until like 11 at noon. He was, you know, kind of a Hesher dude. You know, I'm pretty sure he smoked weed and drank and did stuff like that. And I would go over to his house and just knock on his door. His mom would let me in. I'd be like, let's go skate, you know? And he'd be like, oh, God, dude. Uh, he'd still be, you know, trying to sleep, and I would just go into his room, and he had black flag posters and Minutemen and tons of SST stuff. So I would just go in and like play his records. I mean, he's 45 Grave, Dead Kennedys, Circle Jerks, all the punk stuff, dude. Like, and he was he was pretty much my like. I mean, he was the guy who had everything, like that that shaped pretty much who I became in life. It's kind of crazy to look at it like that, but yeah. But it's cool. You know, I mean, uh, with skateboarding, I was just explaining to a young kid yesterday. I'm like, you know, uh, a skateboard changed my life, and not just from riding a skateboard, but everything that comes with it, the music that oh, came yeah. with it, the, the camaraderie. My best friends to this day are, are the people I, I was hanging out with at the time we're talking about, 87, 88, into the early 90s. Those guys are still the people I can depend on today and are still my best friends. Yep, yeah, exactly. And, I mean, even just... It changed my outlook on life, I think. I mean, I really can't imagine who I would be at this point if I didn't have skateboarding. Had I never gotten a skateboard, I, I seriously don't even know where I would be in life at this point. I or agree. Who I would, or who I would be. I have to agree 110%. You know, it's, it's, uh, it's tough to explain to people who don't have something like that in their life. Something, you know, I mean, I've been riding, we're getting uh, over 35 years now, and I don't see any any chance in stopping unless, like, I'm in the ground, you know? <laughs> yeah. I mean, I, I, I take breaks, you know, I still I still have a skateboard in my car, and I still have, have one, you know, here in the office, but I, I'm definitely not riding at the level I used to, but I mean, to go carve around the tennis court, yeah, it's fun, man, I still, and I still crave it. You know, I, I still crave the, the, the actual act of riding, just not to the level to where my body's going to break. Right. Right. Well, I got to ask, um, you know, 
we'll we'll get to the progression of your career. But one thing that I've noticed, and I've gotten to travel quite a bit, and uh, the skaters on the East Coast are, are quite a bit different than anywhere else on the planet, I think. I mean, I don't know if it's the resiliency. I don't know if we have to, because we have to go through winters, we have to figure it out a little different than, than being on the West Coast. Have you noticed uh, similar, even in styles? I mean, you see people like Mike Frazier, who changed, I think, vert skating just his, with his aggression. It's a lot different than that smooth coasting kind of style. Did you notice some of the same things? I, I, yeah, I mean, that's, yeah, I think so. I think I think East Coast skaters are a little bit more opportunistic. Like, you may not get this spot every single day. You may not get good weather every single day. You know, um, so when you get there, you better hit it. You better hit it hard and get what you're going to get and fulfill that moment. You know, it's definitely a seasonal thing over here. Like, California, it's kind of, it's endless summer, you know, you don't. Well, you know tomorrow's going to be sunny, too, so <laughs> you'll hit it tomorrow, you know? And we can always come back. Mm-hmm. You know? So, yeah, I would say I would say skating over here, like, it makes you a little, a little bit more aggressive when the opportunities do arise. Definitely. Definitely. Now, um, you know, when did you... Uh, when did you realize, you know, that maybe you could take it to a higher level than just skating around locally, or maybe, uh, you know, it was it was going to be something that uh, would be with you the rest of your life? I, I never really had a conscious decision of it, really. Um, it was, it just kind of like, you know, over here you skate everything. You, you skate any chance you can get. So if there's a contest, you go ride it. You never like bucked on a contest at any point, like in the early eighties, late eighties or early nineties, you know, if it was an opportunity to go ride your skateboard, you went. Um, so I just started riding local contests and doing stuff like that. And then, um, got a couple little shop sponsors and then just kept, kind of kept progressing with it and so on. And then, um, you know, traveling to contests and all oh, this contest here, let's go here and, you know, meet people and back and forth. Um, when it, when it, the true deciding factor was like right when I graduated high school was like, okay, there's literally nothing here for me. Like there's not, there's nothing here. I mean, I can flip burgers at McDonald's and I'm pretty much an un, uneducated dummy at this point. I didn't do well in school because I skated all the time. So, I hopped on a Greyhound bus and moved out to Portland and just went skating. And then, um, yeah, I lived out there for a couple of years and then ended up meeting a couple of dudes who knew some dudes, you know, down in California and just started traveling. Bit, sort of similar, you know, a similar trajectory for me. I was a little late to the game, um, probably because of my hockey career, but, uh, you know, for me, it was 95, 96, 97, even into 98, where contests started coming through a little more. The band's warp Tour was given opportunities for amateurs yeah. to get out to the West Coast, and, and I did pretty well there. And it wasn't because, you know, like, it's not like we anybody wanted to win. We just, like you said, it was an opportunity for a bunch of us to get together and ride our skateboards, you know? Yeah. <laughs> and, and, oh, yeah. Uh, the Warp Tour offered me some great opportunities, and and that's what really put me on the map. And Bill Danforth, I can't thank him enough for taking me under his wing and, and helping me along the way. Um, 
when did uh, the big sponsorships come when you were out west? And right did it blow? And did it blow you away? Yeah. Oh yeah. 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 It was. It was right about the same time, actually, like '95, '96. Um, that's when I got hooked up with Santa Cruz. Uh, a buddy from Portland who was from Santa Cruz was living up there. Um, he knew a couple of dudes and was like, "Hey, man, like you should contact these dudes and see if they can get some boards." You know, that was pretty much a slum in it. You know, I didn't had a pizza job and. I would skate when I could, but he was like, do you try to see if you can get some boards from these guys? And then as soon as they were like, yeah, we'll, we'll give you some boards, you know, like, what are you going to do? I was like, well, I guess I'm going to come down there and I'm going to skate and I'm getting <laughs> free boards. You know, if you keep giving me boards, I'll just keep skating. So I just packed up and I basically lived in my car for maybe a year and a half, you know, and, and I say it like, like it's, People, when I tell people, like, oh, well, I was kind of homeless for about a year and a half, it was definitely by choice. But it was also because I was traveling so much. I mean, I mean, it, I wasn't in one spot longer than three days. You know, so it, it's no point in even having a house to pay rent, kind of. I think Danforth would appreciate that. The American Nomad, <laughs> he's told yeah. me stories very similar, very similar. You know, he's like, dude, I was never in one place longer than a, a X amount of time or whatever. So there's no point in getting an apartment or a house or anything. Yeah, exactly. I mean, a lot of people have done it that way, you know. Jimmy Thomas did it. He went out from Alabama. He, he went out to San Francisco and did the exact same thing. And That's just kind of how... A lot of people have done it from the East Coast when they go out west mm-hmm. because there's just so many spots, and you're just like, "Oh man, you get out there and you got the whole state to cover." So you're like, "Let's go to San Francisco, okay? Let's go to San Diego, and then back up to LA. Let's go to Santa Cruz. Let's go up north. Let's go to Portland." And you're just dancing all over, just hitting the whole the whole West Coast because you've never been out there before. Yep. For me, it was the Greyhound bus line. I didn't even have a car when I was out there. I mean, some people would loan me their cars, but for the most part, it was bus tickets and go stay for yep. a few days, bus tickets bas- back down, you know, and, and yep. just trying to hit everything exactly the way you, you were talking. Yep. It was is like That's you know. how I moved out west. I've, I've taken the Greyhound six times cross country. <laughs> it's a gnarly trip. Dude. Yeah. Like, I graduated high school. Three days later, I had a Greyhound ticket to Portland, Oregon. Off I was was on my way. Yeah, I understand that one. For me, it was, uh, you know, uh, uh, fly. I actually flew out there, and then I had no clue what I was going to do. Slept on the beach, tried to figure out where I could, who I could hook up with, either down in San Diego or go north, and and by the seat of my pants, you know, (laughs) whatever's going to happen is going to (laughs) happen. That's pretty much how I did it for. A good two and a half years or so, and then um, I finally got a little place in Santa Cruz, and then then I moved up north to up to Humboldt County for a year and a half, two years, something like that, and then eventually I moved down to the down to the desert, and that's where I stayed the longest. And then, but that before I came back east. Right on. Yeah. 
Well, we're coming up with the the, the end of the one minute left in segment one. And, um, you know, you had asked me when we in the email when I, I think I met you. And I think I think you guys came through Detroit. I thought it was with you and Tim Broch, maybe 97, oh, yeah. 98, possibly to a little tiny park in Ferndale, Michigan. I've got I've actually got photos of that demo. Like I, got I a lot like I got a lot of pictures of Detroit when we came through because I remember it was just crazy. Like there was we we went through some crazy like gnarly dirty neighborhoods. There was like kids hanging out by the dumpsters and stuff. There was trash piled everywhere. It was pretty wild. But I actually have pictures of that park. Of I've got Tim, Israel, Ron, think of Chet. Um, I think that portion we came through with John Humphrey. Right on. Well, we're at the end of this this first segment. Sorry to cut you off, and we're going to pick oh, right yeah. back up there in about... We're going to give a five-minute break here, and we're going to pick it right back up with Richard Kirby. I'll tell you what, you guys are getting a lesson in how skateboarding was and how people like him and I had to go through some serious things to get to where we got to today. So make sure to tune in to Episode 2 with Richard Kirby. I am Gerald Valley, and this is The Drop-In.